Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Travels hostess. Tonight, we are going to discuss a subject that literally scares the shit out of me. Some people call it premature burial or vivisilpature, but in short, I am speaking of accidentally being buried alive. Formerly known as tepophobia, unfortunately, this happens significantly even today. But more predominantly, in 18th and 19th century Europe and America, especially due to widespread diseases such as cholera and smallpox epidemics. Both cholera and the smallpox would render the patient in a state that mimicked death. As a result of this horrifying situation, Americans and Europeans began purchasing safety or security coffins and used waiting mortuaries to avoid being buried alive. So let's dive into the past and talk about a few of these horrible cases, and I will close with a story that actually changes the fate of America. Starting in good old St. Quinn de Chalice, France, while sprinting around on his motorcycle on September 1st, 1937, a young 19-year-old man by the name of Angelo Hayes was thrown from his bike and crashed headfirst into a brick wall. Without hesitation, Angelo was declared dead by the doctors, and he was so badly mangled that his parents weren't even allowed to see him prior to his burial. Then, three days after his accident, Angelo was buried in the nearby town of Bordeaux. Now, as pure coincidence, a extremely lucky coincidence. Angelo's father had recently insured his son's life for 200,000 francs, francs being the currency of France at that time. And the insurance company wasn't convinced that this entire death situation was on the up and up. So they sent an inspector to investigate the matter. To be thorough, the inspector had Angelo's body exhumed just two days after he had been buried. When the examining doctor removed the death shroud covering Angelo, he found Angelo's body to be warm and that his heart was barely beating. Apparently, his body had put itself into a deep coma that required very little oxygen to survive on. But par to the course, they took him immediately to the hospital where he began his lengthy path of recovery. I mean, the kid ended up having several operations and a rather extensive rehabilitation. As a result, Angelo would later invent a security coffin with all the bells and whistles to ensure survival of a premature death. 
he actually goes on tour with this invention and becomes somewhat of a famous celebrity in France. In 1974, he goes on to demonstrate his high-tech coffin at the Suyat Affair by surviving 30 hours in his high-tech coffin underground. And then in 1894, he survived in his coffin for two whole days at the festival of Des Records et Invitation in Augmini, France. So, what did this high-tech coffin include? Well, supposedly, it had a small oven, a refrigerator, and a hi-fi cassette player. This should tell you how far in advance we are today. Either way, poor Angelo finally died, for reals, on January 12th, 2008, and chances are he was buried in one of his most high-tech coffins. Coming to America and heading a bit further back into history, let's talk about 18-year-old Anna Hockwalt. It was January 10th, 1884, in Dayton, Ohio, when about 6 p.m., Anna was getting dressed for her brother's wedding. After doing so, she decided to take a rest in the kitchen, and she sat down. A few minutes later, that's where they found her, as she was still sitting there with her head leaning against the wall and apparently lifeless. Naturally, the family called for medical assistance, and the doctor, a Dr. Jewett, assumed she was dead when he couldn't revive her. Anna's general nervous state and the fact that she suffered from heart palpitations was listed as the cause of death. Side note, her brother's wedding continued despite Anna's apparent sudden and immediate death. It was her dad who made this decision. But the family didn't waste any time when they buried Anna the very next day in Woodland. However, during the course of the funeral, her friends noticed that her ears bore a remarkably natural color for someone supposedly dead, and they began to fear that she had been buried alive. They then collaborated and then decided to share their concerns and suspicions with her parents. Eventually, they had her exhumed. Sadly, when her coffin was open, she was actually dead. However, she was on her right side, her fingers chewed to the bone, and her hair pulled out of her head by the handfuls. Apparently, she had woken up, and in her panic state to get out, she gnawed on her fingers and pulled out her hair, and what must have been an obvious and frightful death for her. Still in America, in Whitehaven, Pennsylvania, in July of 1839, the wife of Charles Berger died suddenly of unknown causes. Of course, she was examined and the doctors confirmed her passing. So Charles, being a mere farmer and knowing no better, simply buried her. But friends of Mrs. Boger told Charles that his wife had suffered from hysteria before he had met her and that it was possible that she wasn't actually dead. Now, the notion, the very notion of Mrs. Boger having been buried alive tormented Charles to the point that he became hysterical. So he dug her up and found his wife's body turned over. Her shroud and robes had been shredded into pieces, and the glass of her coffin lid had been broken all over her body. Her skin was apparently bloodied and rather scratched, and one of her fingers was missing 
completely. People assumed that she had chewed her finger off while attempting to get free from her coffin. Now, after this horrifying discovery, the fate of Charles is unknown. Now, like I mentioned before, this was something that also happened all over Europe, and in 1822, a 40-year-old German shoemaker had died and was given a burial. However, there were lingering questions about his death pretty much from the beginning, one of them being that perhaps the family, who had buried him solely on the fact that he quote-unquote looked dead, was not a sufficient reason to bury the man. Either way, sadly enough, as the gravedigger was actually shoveling the last of the sprinkles of soil onto the poor man's grave, he began to hear thumping from the coffin. Without pausing, the gravedigger, of course, started to unearth the poor man. But when the gravedigger finally managed to open the coffin, he found the shoemaker's arms were drawn upward. His body was warm to the touch. So naturally, the gravedigger sought help. The shoemaker was then seen by a doctor. The doctor, as a means to test whether or not the shoemaker was alive or dead, actually cut open a vein and there blood streamed everywhere on the shroud. Throughout the span of three days, they made several revival attempts, but alas, to no avail. The shoemaker was eventually declared once more dead and laid to rest for the second and final time. Now, I have to be honest, being buried alive solely on the premise of looking dead is pretty shitty. However, when somebody buries you alive on purpose, that's a whole nother excuse to pun. Can of worms. Such was the case of Lawrence Cawthorn in London in 1661. Lawrence, who was a butcher in Newmarket, London, became significantly ill. His landlady, a ruthless, heartless bitch, she's dead, she does not care, with her eyes on his belongings as she knows she would inherit them in the case of his death, saw to it that he was quickly pronounced dead without a doctor's examination. And then, to prevent anything from getting in her way, she had him buried at a nearby chapel. Shortly after his burial, visitors and mourners of the graveyard began hearing his screams and shrieks coming from his grave. And even though they hurried to dig up Catherine's coffin, it did not matter. They were too late. They found that his shroud was completely shredded, his eyes were swollen, his head was bloodied beyond recognition because in his apparent state of pure panic, he began beating his head against the coffin in an attempt to make enough noise to escape this unfortunate death. Thankfully, the landlady was accused of prematurely putting Cawthorn in his grave. Now, sometimes it's rare that sometimes evil intentions does actually lead to good things. Heading to Northern Ireland and Lorgon in 1695, let's talk about Marguerite McCall. Mrs. McCall had caught a fever, and with no Tylenol or aspirin to break the fever, her health failed rather quickly, and she stopped being responsive to her family. Naturally, everyone simply assumed that she had died. So again, 
with her quote-unquote looking dead, her family quickly hosted her funeral and buried her in the Shank Hill graveyard. But the family's decision to bury her with a rather valuable ring was too lucrative for the local grave-robbing thieves. Not long after Mrs. McCall was placed in the ground, the grave robbers came a thieving and dug her up. Again, their goal was to steal her ring. However, when they tried to remove the ring from her finger, they found it to be stuck. So, taking a knife to her finger with the intent to cut her finger off caused Mrs. McCall to wake up screaming mad. Her not being dead obviously scared the shit out of them. And because they had already removed the soil, she simply climbed out of her coffin and went home. And of course... When she walked in the door, she nearly scared her husband to death. But fortunately for her, she will go on. She will have another child and live another 10 more years before being buried for the last time in 1705. Today, her gravesite has a very humorous sign, if you will, with lived once, buried twice. Now, obviously, the notion of being buried alive is frightening. And over the years, people have come up with ideas to prevent such tragedy. One of them, obviously, being that people had started to hold wakes for their loved ones. The original intent was to hold a vigil or to guard the body to see if their loved ones actually woke up, you know, awake. (laughs) Over time, the notion evolved into hosting a celebration of their lives and to bring people together as a means of comfort and support. But people came up with other strategies as well. One of them was to fit a tube-like trumpet with one end in the coffin and the other end above ground. And the idea was that a local person could take a stroll through the graveyard every morning and basically have a quick sniff down the tube to see if the smell of the body's decay had begun. However, if there were no stenchy stench of death, The coffin would then be open after a few days just to check. Another idea was, of course, to attach bells to the arm or the leg of the deceased. So people who were maintaining the the cemetery or graveyard, if they heard the bell ringing, they would come a-running. Later, though, in the second half of the 19th century, security coffins were twerked and their designs became more advanced. Instead of alarm bells, the coffins had firecrackers or sirens or even rockets that could be set off from inside the coffin as a means to draw attention. Even the term graveyard shift comes into play because of this very situation. People were hired to walk the graveyard at night to listen for cries of help or to check to see if they hear coffins moving about. In short, They were working the graveyard shift. But for some reason, these bells, security coffins, tube-smelling notions were simply not enough for some people, especially the upper-class English, who, after hearing all these wretched, horrible, deplorable incidences and tragedies, decided to leave legacies to their family physicians to protect them against this gruesome and horrible fate. So what do I mean by this? I mean, for instance, 
a man by the name of Francis Doucet gave 200 guineas to his doctor, his surgeon, to see that his heart was removed from his body after his death. So basically, a guaranteed way to confirm that he was actually dead. A lady Dryden of Northamptonshire actually paid her doctor 50 pounds to slit her throat before her burial. Again, I'm sure the second that knife touched her skin, if she was alive, she would have jerked awake. A Mrs. Elizabeth Thomas of Islington asked her physician to pierce her heart with a long metal pin, again to confirm that she was actually dead, while the writer, Harriet Martineau, left her doctor ten guineas to see that her head had been severed from her body. Again, just to double check. And again, they did this simply because people back then, like people now, like me, are terribly, terribly afraid of having such fates. But, like Angelo, sometimes it works out and the person recovers. And sometimes, just sometimes, that person who recovers changes the fate of a nation. For my final story tonight, let's talk about Anne Hill Carter Lee. At the young age of 20, Anne became very ill, so ill, in fact, that she appeared as though she had died. Her husband, Henry Lee, had four different doctors examine her, and they all declared her dead. So, as this was 1809, and with no real modern technology to determine otherwise, her sad husband had laid her in state of rest for four days in their home in Arlington Heights, Virginia. On the sixth day, she was taken to the family mausoleum and placed in it. On the seventh day, as the sexton, the maintenance worker, went to place flowers on her casket and do some cleaning, he had heard faint cries coming from her casket. Instinctively, he opened the lid and Mrs. Lee sat up. Fifteen months later, she would give birth to a son whom she named Robert. Her son, in 1861 would lead the Confederate Army in the American Civil War as General Robert E. Lee. And as punishment for his treason against the nation, when the Civil War ended, the federal government would eventually take his family land, Arlington Heights, and convert it into a cemetery we now call today Arlington Cemetery. Here is where the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is buried as well as the much-beloved President Kennedy. That is all I have for you tonight. That, and sadly, even with today's technology, this unfortunate situation still happens. I literally kind of had my pick of stories, and granted, most of my stories were set in the 1900s and 1800s, 1600s, but I promise you, there were plenty of stories set in the 20,000s. All right, tonight is the last night you can submit your book giveaway entry. You have until, you know, 11.59 p.m. as this, and, you know, I usually release these podcasts early in the morning, so you've got a solid 12 hours at least to get those last submissions in. And please, if you're my international listener, please don't hesitate. I am more than happy to send this. Michelle McInair's book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which was her obsession, her search for the Golden State Killer. All right, Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. I have a Facebook page if you are interested or curious. 
I may request. However, in the meantime, if you have a place that you would someday like to see where their dark corners are, or have a specific tourist attraction in mind, or a morbid buried alive story in mind, send me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com and corners is plural. So until next time, please remember that only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are. Thank you.